Welcome to Ebenezer Baptist Church on Thanksgiving Sunday, October 13th, 2013. Today's message is Where Does the Church Go From Here? by Pastor Bob Roxburgh, based on Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. Today's special music is the choir. Good morning. Good to be with you again. I do have an orange shirt, but nobody told me. So red is as close as it comes. Having felt the sensitivity of the music and the singing this morning, I cannot emphasize enough that my next little comment is not a complaint. It's just a little bit of fun. See, one of my first churches was an NAB church. And this is Thanksgiving. And I was sure I would come here and here, nun dankit alle Gott. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Now thank we all our God, that great German hymn. But anyway, what a blessing it was to hear the music sung and the sensitivity of the singing this morning. Thank you. Let me lead you in prayer and then speak on this topic that probably could take three weeks. I will limit it to 30 minutes. Let's pray. Speak, Lord, in the stillness while we wait on thee. Hushed our hearts to listen in expectancy for the words you speak. They are life indeed, living bread from heaven. Now our spirits feed. As I go along, it will be helpful to have open Acts chapter 2 and those few verses that were read. Let me make this introduction. I'm going to say a lot of positive things today and a lot of hopeful things. Occasionally, if I say things that make you squirm, it's not done to hurt. The church in the West is in huge trouble. Now, there's another four weeks of lecture to students as to why probably most of us have caught it. Mind you, in other parts of the world, there are remarkable stories of the church's advance, so we have to keep that in perspective. And even in our culture, in which the church generally is in big trouble, there are wonderful stories of growth and excitement. There isn't just one story. Sometimes I fear that some of the exciting and so-called growth stories are merely churches siphoning off one group of people to another because the pastor down the road, he or she speaks more excitingly, is more charismatic, or they have better programs or whatever, but it's still just moving the saints around like checkers on a chessboard. But having even said that, I want to read you a story from a church called London Road Baptist Church in Lowestoft, England, which is near Cambridge. I went there. It was the last sort of interim consultancy that I did. And they'd lost their pastor in, in very bad circumstances. And the church was struggling uh, and hurting. But it had always had a missional heart. They didn't even know about the word. They didn't go to all these conferences. They didn't read all these books. They just were believers excited about Jesus who did things in the neighborhood. But nevertheless, when I arrived, they were quite hurt. And that was a wonderful nine months or so that I spent with them. 
a couple that I got to know, um, both quite uh, infirm and crippled up. Uh, well, she wrote to me this week. It wasn't the first time, but she wrote to me because her husband's not able to write. The name of the church is called the London Road Baptist Church. And here's what she said. At London Road, we are celebrating our 200th anniversary. By the way, Brenda and I went four or five years ago to a church in England called Sirencester Baptist Church that was celebrating its, well, you add the math up, but it got going in the year 1640. So a little older than our churches. But anyway, back to the 200th anniversary. We had a wonderful weekend in June with a walk to the town center. We had an Italian meal on Saturday evening with many non-Christians attending. The main church, that is what they call the sanctuary, looked absolutely wonderful with all kinds of decorations. I'll keep this short. Our speaker was a young man called Darrell who had an amazing testimony. He had been a violent robber and drug dealer who had become a Christian through attending an Alpha course. But i got to add this. She did. So i got to say it. Through attending an Alpha course run by Catholic nuns. How about that? This man spoke again on Sunday and many lives were touched. A number of people were saved, including the local councillor, city councillor of Witten. Witten was a big housing estate for low-income families generally, and the church had just gone and opened a store and a cafe and a few other things to reach out, and uh, which was part of its life. Anyway, she goes on. Since that week, he and his wife have attended church and are now on an Alpha course. Also that weekend, we had two more city councillors who live on the Witten estate, and they started attending the Alpha meal and have been coming to church ever since. They too um, find that the Alpha course is thrilling and it's great for us to see new people coming to the church every week and people coming to Christ, etc., etc. So, whether it's the great things that may be going on in South America, in Korea, in China, whether it's the great things that happen scattered across Canada, sometimes just ordinary churches going through tough times, in the light of the fact that the church is really in trouble, that is, capital C Church is really in trouble, some pockets of churches are such that God just keeps on doing good things. And God keeps on renewing hope. I trust that's going to happen for you. So that was all by way of introduction. And if I say some strong things this morning about the church, I wanted to put these lines. It's all outlined in your bulletin so that if you fall asleep, you'll know where to, uh, where to get going again. I said that I love the church, at least I want to affirm that now, and I love the church, and we are to love the church because, and I'll just bullet them for you, there they all are in your notes, because it's the bride of Christ. I'd love to say more, but I'm watching the clock. Because he died for the church. Because he said that he would build it, and he would protect it. We are to love the church because he asked us to, to love it and to serve it. And because we belong to it. 
there's a great writer, a Catholic writer, Jean Vanier, who is the son of a former governor general of Canada, who started the L'Arche communities, about which some of you know. He writes a book entitled Community and Growth. Big, long book, good stuff. But in it he says, you know, I'm not sure I like all the people in the church I go to. And I, I'm not sure I would have chosen them all. But he said, as I look at my Bible, I discover that God has placed me there and I am simply to accept them because I belong. And that's the kind of thing I'm saying. Now let me move on to the next point, having said that I love and we ought to love the church for the reasons I spelled out. The big issue is going to be, and maybe for some older folk, says I at my ripe young age, but it is to define the church. The church used to be what? The steeple and the pews and, and, and whatever. But now as younger people are trying to grow in their faith, church has a much broader, more scattered, or let's just say different interpretation. So defining the church is going to be the challenge for you all as you move forward. And again, can't go off on a series of lectures, so I'll just limit it to this. Often, what we think is the church the way it ought to be is basically what we've gotten used to culturally. And what we need to ask, regardless of the century, regardless of the nation, regardless of the generation, what are some of the biblical elements of the church? We know what the cultural elements are. It used to be churches met at 11 o'clock in the morning. Do you know why? Well, because 11 o'clock was in the middle of the two milking hours earlier in the morning and in the afternoon. So 11 was a convenient thing in the milking hours. Now we live in a culture in which kids don't even know where milk comes from except Safeway or Save on Foods. And so often our views of the church have come through us culturally. I'm not saying that's wrong or bad, but that's a fact. And as we move forward now trying to say, what is the church in this new day and age, in a time when for the West, with some exceptions that I've spelled out, the church is in big trouble. How do we define the church? And that's the challenge. And I think I'd best leave it there. Except to say, give it time. Let us go through some of the struggles. And it's God's church. It's not ours. And he will have for it a bright future. So as we heard in some of the songs, we don't give up. He doesn't give up. So let me come to some of the principles that I discovered in the early church in the passage that was read to us. And I want to stress again so strongly the word principles. Because I don't think you can go back into the book of Acts and simply say, well, that's how they did it then, that's how we'll do it now. There isn't some kind of formula or magic bullet that says, read this book and it will tell you exactly what you ought to do and everything will be fine. But I do see in the early church principles and we have to work on them and make 
them relate to who we are and where we're at. And so they're, they're all there, and we'll get to them in a minute. But at least I see these things happening in the early church. And you want them to happen for you. I want them to happen for me. The early Christians were excited about Jesus. Read 1 Peter chapter 3 sometime. Whom having not seen, yet we love with an unspeakable joy. I remember my conversion. I remember coming back from the weekend that I'd been on a wild weekend or whatever, but had met up with some young believers that had been miraculously converted. And I came back, and I didn't, couldn't have told you anything about church. Couldn't tell you about church clubs or anything. I just knew I'd met Jesus. And I hope it's been that excitement about Jesus that has driven me so that when recently uh, one of the English theologians, whose name will come to me in a moment, wrote simply, Jesus, I yet, yeah. It wasn't anti-church. It was that what drove the early Christians was not their belonging to an institution, not their doing all kinds of church work, which, which is fine, but that they were excited about Jesus. And I hinted at this last week. They believed in the power of God. Think of Acts chapter 3. Peter and John going into the temple. The beggar looks for help. And they go, oh, we're kind of short on shekels, but you know what? Silver and gold have we none, but that which we really have we'll give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And he did. So many centuries later, Martin Luther is taken to Rome. This is before the Reformation breaks out. He's taken to Rome, and a bishop is showing him around. The bishop puts his arm around Martin and says, Oh, Martin... Look, here's St. Peter's all on its way up, and here's this, and here's that. We don't have to say any more silver and gold, have we none? To which Martin Luther, in his troubled soul, said, That's not what bothers me. What bothers me is no longer can we say, In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Martin could see it wasn't in shekels, but it was in the power of the Spirit that the church was meant forward. It wasn't in buildings. It wasn't in institutions. It wasn't in formats. It wasn't in programs. It was that they were released to let God's Spirit do what he would. And then they loved each other. A whole topic on community. Maybe one day you'll invite me to speak back on that. But anyway, um, I get a little humorous about that. I reminded that in the early church, Behold how they loved one another. This wasn't touchy-feely stuff. It's much deeper than that. So I'm reminded of the little ditty. To live above with saints I love, I know that will be glory. To live below with the people I know, that's a different story. The early church was concerned for the world. We get into this word missional and we'll touch on it again in a minute for a few moments. Elton Trueblood said they were an incendiary fellowship. And then he went on to say, what is it that sustains a fire? It's when it ignites other things. That's when it keeps going. And so we are meant to be far more 
than an institution, an incendiary fellowship, lighting fires all over the place. And they did. And then the early church lived a distinctive life. You know it was at Antioch that they were called little Christs, translated Christians. So again, that's some sort of the background. Let's come to the heart of Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. When I shared this with somebody once, they called it Bob's Navy. Look at all the ships. Leadership, apostleship, discipleship, fellowship, worship, stewardship. We'll touch on them. They accepted, says verse 41 and 2, the apostles' teaching. There were apostles, and there were prophets, and there were evangelists, and there were teachers, pastor teachers. There were all kinds of leaders in the early church. And the issue going forward in a church that's in trouble is to take a new look at leadership, to realize that the presence of the Spirit and character and discerning the scripture and understanding people is far more important than degrees. If we go to Ephesians chapter 12, chapter 4, verse 12, there's a verse there that was so often used for describing the ministry. I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to try to remember the King James Version because that's where they had what I call the misplaced comma. Here's what it basically said, Ephesians 4, verse 12. Um, So Christ gave himself these different leaders. Verse 12, to equip his people for works of service, to to build up the body, to do the work of the ministry. But here's what the new translations say, and they are right. God has given gifts, apostles, prophets, teachers, whoever, in order to equip his people for works of service so that they will build up the church. And when they are building up the church, that's when it's mature. So, I'm going to give you a confession. Back to London Road Baptist Church, from which I read out this little letter from the lady. Their new pastor came to them a long time after I'd gone, and he said to them, well, how, what do you see my job to be? Well, they didn't do this right. They shouldn't have mentioned my name, but they said, Bob said. And what was it that Bob said? Your job is to train us to do all the things that you think we pay you to do. Let me say it again. Your job is for you to train us to do the things that you think we pay you to do. Now, that's not some radical new churchy stuff. That's what the Bible says. I don't often sound like Billy Graham, but I'm doing it now. The Bible says the work of the ministry is to train people to do all the things that they think they're paying him to do for them. So that's the leadership that may have to change. Apostleship. It was the apostles and others giving leadership. But apostle means somebody who was sent out into mission. And the ingredient of the church will always be mission. 
And some of you have probably heard that word till you're sick and tired of it. We are now part of the missional church. Well, there's nothing wrong with the word, and I'm not criticizing it, but it sounds like something new. This has been the nature of the church. This is the outward journey. The trouble is we may have made you too much on the inward journey, not trying to be critical. But God is mission. And Luke chapter 15, Jesus just explained it. Look, you know, there was a lost coin, there was a lost sheep, there was a lost son, and that's what we're about. We're about seeking the lost. I've come, said Jesus, to seek and to save those who are lost. And then he describes it a bit more. And so, whatever the church will do in the future, whatever new ideas will come, Whatever dramatic changes will happen in this neighborhood, and there will go on being dramatic changes, who knows what will happen in the next 20 years. There will need to be people here who love the church, who go about the principles of being excited about Jesus and living out God's power, caring for one another, etc., who recognize that leadership is not to do religious stuff for a long time, People were critical of the Catholic Church. That's not what I'm doing here. Well, the priest is the kind of guy who does everything for everybody. Many Baptist pastors I've seen do everything for everybody. And that's why I came back to saying, my job, when I was in the ministry, sort of full-time, long time ago, was simply to say to people, I'd love to spend my time training you to do what you think you're paying me to do, because that's not biblical, but what I'm saying to you is, so let's get going. Apostleship, it ought to be that the mindset we have is that we are to live the heart of God. And God is a missionary God, and if he wasn't, you wouldn't have had the cross. The third thing is, they began to accept and grow in and develop the apostles' teaching. They became disciples. And it's a huge thing in the church today. The huge pressure of culture. The huge narcissism, the self-centeredness of our culture, and the materialism. I'm not here to bang on people and hack about it, but to realize that that's the world in which we now need to create disciples. And there may need to be new, creative ways of doing it. I can tell you what I think is the most creative way of doing it is at home. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Is it five or six? You'll correct me, but it'll help you look it up. Teach these things to your children. When they're brushing their teeth, when they're rushing off to school, when they can't find their homework, when you're walking the dog with them. They don't quite say that, but if you read it, you'll say, well, I know what Bob's talking about. But nevertheless, we will need to come to grips with how do we make disciples in a dis this day and age? And we're probably going to have to do it differently. We cannot rely on sermons. We cannot rely just on Bible study. As much as I'm committed to both of those, we'll have to find new ways of making disciples. And unless you want me to stay till four and describe what I think about that, we'll just leave that as it is. And then it says, they ate bread in one another's homes, and they were together, they had all things in common. It's all there in that passage. What they had was fellowship. A better word is community, because fellowship means we meet together and we have supper and we say nice 
things to one another and we play games. Uh, but it, it, it fitted my alliteration. So instead of the word community, I put fellowship. But I think, as I've read among many people, that one of the great witnesses that will happen, especially in a community like this, will be the discovery that we are a community which models the vibrancy of the Christian faith and can share it in a way that they understand. One of the greatest ways they understand is that we spend time with them. Last time I mentioned that I wasn't quite as acerbic as my brother Alan. When I have breakfast with him in the morning, I'll confess that I said that in case this tape floats around somewhere. Now let me say something really good about my brother. All the stuff that he's written, some of which you would never understand because I don't, but nevertheless, my brother said something very good about evangelism. He said, I wonder how many evangelistic programs the church would really need if we simply got to know and love And that's the kind of dynamic fellowship that may come in the future. Then it comes to worship. Well, the place of wars in the church. And I know over the last years, I'm not too sure I experienced them, uh, but I've seen churches experience all kinds of wars about worship. You know what I'm really talking about? Many, many churches worship in monochrome. Black and white. Just got two things. But as I look at the scripture, especially Isaiah 6, that I'm going to read to you in a minute, or if I read 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 and 14, or Philippians 2, or wherever, what I see is a whole technicolor of possibilities which you could never get in on one day service. But if you went to a particular church over a period of months, you'd see, hey, they do this, they do that, they do that. They are, they are expressing the, the glory of God. They are confessing. I'm not asking them all to be Anglicans or Catholics, but there's some sense in which their liturgical life expresses everything instead of just singing some songs and hearing a sermon. Let Acts chapter 6, uh, Isaiah chapter 6, speak to you, and I'll make no comment, because I've only got seven minutes to go. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated high and exalted. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. Two wings they covered their faces, two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. Like the first Harry Potter movie. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe is me, I cried, I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongues from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and he said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell the people. 
Oh, that's a whole pile of stuff. Invite me back and I'll preach on Isaiah 6. But the bottom line is, whether it's Isaiah 6 or the other passages, that God has for every fellowship that was there in the early church a whole technicolor of worship. And it's wonderful. I'll have to leave it there. And then it says here, and they didn't count anything they had as their own. And they sold their goods and they gave to one another. Wow, this is a different world than we now live in. I'm going to use the word stewardship. And I'm not into talking about tithing or all the rest of it. I'm just saying they saw their resources belong to the kingdom of God. And that's what kind of community it was. Well, we're getting close to having to stop. Sixty years ago, approximately, Ebenezer had a vision for this neighborhood. Sixty years later, you live in a very different culture. God showed you 60 years ago what you needed to do. He hasn't been asleep since then. He will show you what to do in the future as long as you don't tell him he has to stay where he was 60 years ago. Let me define to you the difference between traditionalism and tradition. It is so important for a church in transition. Tradition, and we had some of it this morning, except non daikitali God. That was my tradition. I just expected that would happen in a German church background. Yeah? Mm. Tradition is the living faith of those who've passed on. And it's beautiful. Tradition is the living faith of those who've passed on or are about to pass on. And that's beautiful. Traditionalism is the dead faith of those who are still alive and keep trying to do things the way they've always done them. God doesn't, but somehow we think we may not. So there's a bright future if we step into it with the openness that we did 60 years ago. In Jeremiah chapter 29, I know it's hackneyed. You've probably heard it many times before. But it says, you know what? I will come back. I will fulfill my promises. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper and not to harm. I will give you hope. I will give you a future. I have to believe that will always be the message to the church. But then, where you're at now and leadership that you will gather in the future, you're going to have to ask some of these questions. It will be hard. And you will have to let go some of the past, some of the mindset, some of the methods. But you will come, and I'm going to close with the scripture, and with no particularly clever comment, you'll come to Romans chapter 5. Let me read that, and then I'm going to pray. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God among us. Not only so, but we also glory in our struggles because we know that struggle produces perseverance, perseverance character, 
and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Shall we? I pray, Father, that you will bless this church, that you will give it hope. You will help it to look into the, old, the New Testament church and see principles and attitudes and mindsets that can be of a help moving forward. I pray that you will burn into its thinking the beauty of tradition and the nuisance of traditionalism. I pray that they will believe that it is your church and you have for it a future of hope. As Jeremiah discovered, that one day you will bring the people back to the place where they were. It won't look the same, but it will have you in the middle of it. In whose name we pray. Amen.